Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. Andrew. Let's get stuck into it. What you been up to this week, boy? Uh, not a whole lot. Caught up with a friend. Just fucking worked, man. It's been a pretty boring week. I've been playing that uh, Tetris 99. Oh, man. Tetris 99. <laughs> Hell, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when someone told me that Battle Royale Tetris... Is is a thing I thought it was a joke About this new Battle Royale yeah, no. Craze that's so going on Absolutely the greatest game That's it's ever so been good. It's, it's like, like Tetris but better who, Yeah for those of you Who, who haven't uh, Or who aren't familiar With what we're talking about No it's, it's clear It's competitive online Multiplayer Tetris <laughs> It's Tetris you got it? But you're playing With a hundred <laughs> other people And when you clear a row You send it to someone Of those hundred people And Yeah if you cause someone To like Have a block Hit the top of the screen Then you knock them Out of the game And they're done and so it's the greatest it's the, game ever. It's the last person to be still playing Tetris wins. It's arguably. literally one of the attributes you love from Fortnite, and all the rest of the attributes you love from Tetris. So, um, yeah, it's fun as hell. I've <laughs> I don't think I've played a Tetris game in like six years, and I've put like nine hours into this. I game. couldn't really give a fuck about Tetris ridiculous. normally, just no. because like it just goes forever. This makes it so much. This more makes fun. it stupid fun. So much more fun. <laughs> um, I've played this game more than I've played any other game in the past two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> man yes yeah, yeah. Stupid, I mean, this, man. the switch is really good for that as well yeah um, i bet it's like number three out of out of 99 <laughs> people which is pretty good all they're gonna do is work out a way of monetizing this shit and it'll be the top grossing game on no switch. it's fucking free yeah uh, assuming that you're online yeah. but yeah free you, you're right free isn't a good way of starting with the yeah. whole monetizing it thing um i've been up to like so recently a whole bunch of bands that i like are sort of announcing tours of australia so elton john is coming to australia next year so I've been big back in on the Elton John. Mm. I think one of his best albums is Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. So if you if you listener like me are getting psyched for Elton John, or if you think that he's like some dad rock icon, sit down and let me educate you. Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, released in 1973. Both, both times you said goodbye. Goodbye. It's fucking getting me. Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. <laughs> goodbye Yellow Brick Road is uh, an album here released in 1973. <laughs> now was- as Donald Duck. <laughs> <laughs> he it's, he was on a hot streak. I think it was like his fifth album in three years or something stupid. Mm. It's such a good 70s rock album. It's great. It's got Saturday Night's Alright for Fighting. It's got Benny and the Jets. It's got Goodbye Yellow Brick Road on it. It's got all your favorites. It starts with this like 11 minute long like rock masterpiece that mm. just builds and builds and builds and he doesn't start singing for like five minutes. That's album of the week this week. I know we didn't do album of the week, but I'm doing it this week. Goodbye <laughs> Yellow Brick Road. It's fantastic. Yeah, famously unrecognized. <laughs> <laughs> and also the cue is Disintegration That's like a big big time sad boy Sort of gothic rock album from the late 80s Also worth a visit Man, that's a hell of a pile of words Back to Elton John though The Hot Trail of Bohemian Rhapsody The Queen biopic that came out recently mm. The Elton John biopic's coming out soon And it looks yes, we have fucking great yeah. I think it looks awesome They've released like featurettes recently of him Playing as Elton John and singing and that And I didn't realise Taron Taron Edgerton The dude right. from Kingsman That's right But he looks Oh, he looks so much like yeah. Elton John. Like they've made him look fucking bald as like Elton did in the seventies, uh, like with the crazy ass receding hairline. Yeah. Um, he sings all the songs in it. I didn't realize. All oh, right. And they have like a like a trailer featurette that's like half live real interview and half like movie trailer where they sort of interview Taron and you see him singing in the studio and then they interview George, uh, not George Martin. Whatever they are, the Giles Martin, who says like, "Yeah, Elton John says he's like the greatest Elton John singer of all time." Wow. So that's huge. Yeah. 
Elton's real into it. And they, they recently, for the, the Elton John's AIDS benefit, Taron Edgerton got on stage and sang Tiny Dancer as a duet with Elton John. That's neat. Which is wild. That is crazy. I'm really into yeah. the fact that Elton thinks it's really good. Elton John, though, is famously, like, really supportive of, like, modern People musicians to, and everything. Yeah, okay. Like, he apparently still gets an, a list of new albums every week. He'll buy like three copies of every record so he can have one in every house. I listened to a podcast from him ages ago where he shouted out like Sarah Blasco and Lord and all these like indie musicians before they got like super famous. Yeah, right. He's like real switched on. He's on, on. The, on the pulse. He might be into like ballpark. He's into crazy different new genres. Like he talks about how he thinks it's weird that like old rockers from the 70s only listen to like 70s rock. He's yeah. like, how could you not, if you love music, how could you not be in on this shit? He says like, he loves hip hop and all sorts of stuff because you don't necessarily love music as a whole you you love the music that you positively associated with as a as a young person and no, he, like he was talking about how much he loved Kendrick as well like he's he's super into all sorts of shit so I suppose that's like a long winded way of saying if Elton John says he likes it it sounds like Elton John likes a bunch of shit and he's really open minded so like yeah. <laughs> maybe if people are going <laughs> and expecting this guy to sound exactly like Elton John he'd be like no nah, he sounds nothing like me yeah, I love I it I like all of Eminem's <laughs> albums so Ooh. yeah exactly um, <laughs> yeah but no, I'm really, really looking forward to that. So, good segue. Speaking of Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah. a film that recently right. has this some is, high praise slung its way. This is our first uh, episode that we're recording after the Oscars results were announced. <laughs> after the fallout of the Oscars. I mean, before I ask you and I lose the ability to speak for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, the Oscars... I'm uh, winding up my arm as we speak. <laughs> the Oscars awards were uh, uh, a couple days ago now, and we both um, definitely did not stream them while at work. We... <laughs> went home and read afterwards and yeah. expressed our surprise not having known the award results beforehand. So, the reason why we mentioned Bohemian Rhapsody as a nice little segue into this is because it didn't really clean up, but it got a lot of awards. Mm. It got... More than it deserved. It, it won, Bohemian Rhapsody won for best film editing, best sound editing, and best sound mixing, which are apparently different things. Um, <laughs> uh, there's been a lot of criticism already about that because they're like the commonly, the, the very specifically technical Oscars that most people I don't think understand. But then like film editing, for example, famously, not famously, I noticed in Bohemian Rhapsody, there are loads of scenes where just cuts go on for a little bit too long, then lots of just rapid cuts. Like, it, it was editing is not the best. No- widely noted as being edited terribly certainly not the best i think like vice is like obviously was before like the most obvious editing but at least the editing did something to progress the story and it was the most obvious really editing way. it had some really good good editing and, and cinematography no, I, in like i mean that like if someone explained to me why the editing in the favorite green book or black Klansman were good which were the other nominees i would have no idea how to justify that like i don't yeah. really know what makes good editing in a film that doesn't literally splice like stock footage in if you know what I mean. Well, things like, like, wh- and like sa- same with sound mixing. I don't know what makes good sound mixing or sound editing in the same way. Yeah, wh- when and how it cuts and what they choose to insert and what moments <laughs> and stuff like. I mean, I know it sounds obvious, but yeah, but like I'm not going to be watching a film being like, oh, this is really well mixed. I think you know editing I mean? is is a lot easier to judge comparatively, where you get shown two scenes and someone sort of saying, this one. Mm. is edited well, this one's edited poorly, and you can go, oh, yeah, I totally feel that. Well, I feel like a lot of people talk about how, like, there's a lot of big films that were saved in the edit. Like, for example, Mm. Star Wars was apparently made into a great movie, the original Star Wars, in the edit. And, like, the editor really sort of knew which scene, which storylines to completely cut out, which scenes to maybe change the linearity of. I think that it might often be a lot more easy to know whether a film was well edited if you had the ability to watch all 100 hours that they shot and then watch the movie that's at the end product and be like, oh, wow, 
how the fuck did they turn it into a cohesive movie? Right, and and that's a different thing, right? Because that's not what the Oscars are for. The Oscars are for like the quality of of like shot length. <laughs> well, no, because I think that like the sorts of people that get to vote on this shit might know. So if you're in the sound editing industry, you're in the sound editing or sound mixing community, you might know. Fuck, man, edit mixing the sound on this movie was a goddamn nightmare, and they mm. pulled it off, and that's why they might have won. This sounds a bit contrite, but I don't know if that much thought goes into the awards on behalf of the people that vote because I'm not sure that they would be able to like fully identify it. That's what I'm saying. Like, I imagine maybe that they have more of a window into it than we would. Like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. More experience, at least. But um, I just think that it would be easier to tell. Like, I could definitely identify if a film was like poorly edited. But mm. I, don't, I wouldn't be able to tell if a film was very well edited without knowing what they started with, if you know what I mean. But I think there's multiple, <laughs> like, so uh, just to, because like, I don't want to get stuck down too much into it, but <laughs> I think, film editing but I think there's a difference between what the editing achieves in a narrative sense and what the editing achieves in a pictures moving on the screen in front of you sense. Yeah. And the editing in a narrative sense is almost completely lost because... To, to anyone outside of the production in the, of the film because you don't know what they were working with and like you only know what they output and they've, they've done your job if you, they've done their job if you don't notice it well that's the that's yeah. the di- that's the second part the first part I'm saying you can never have any insight in, into unless you knew what materials they had and what didn't make yeah. it into the film right exactly but you only know what did make it into the film and then the other half of the editing is right well how cohesive and well assembled is the editing that made it into the film and that is what the award is judged based off yeah so it's not even like the, well, the I didn't even know the I example know of like Star true, Wars like. ending up in uh, being saved in the edit that's people who made the film have to be the ones that say that right because they're the only people that know like fuck man we had this mm. giant pile of cuts and we just had no idea what to do with it and then an editor saved all of our lives because he assembled <laughs> a storyline out of that yeah you then have a different question of like right well how well did he assemble that storyline how how cleanly did he put those pieces together one one example is like the pacing of a scene is often strongly linked to what's actually going on in the scene, right? Obviously. So yeah. you have more rapid cuts the higher the tension or the action, right? But then sometimes tension can be built by not cutting at all. So those are things where the editor is making the choice. But then, see, I don't really know where that where that crosses over between like something that the editor has done and something the director has Strong done. Strong overlap. But yeah, they work so very like, collaboratively with that. I don't know. I think it's an interesting field and I'd love to learn more about it. But the point... The point is, Bohemian Rhapsody won all the sound editing and sound mixing and film editing awards. People that know more about it than we do say that that's probably undeserved. Yeah. I don't really know why well, they would have so won. It's really strange. An interesting little thing. While I was while I was doing this, I was looking up um, some of the films that won and I was yeah. looking up other awards ceremonies. And I, I ended up stumbling into the world of like slightly smaller than the Oscars award ceremonies. Yeah. And one that I actually think I'm going to follow from now on is the Independent Spirit Awards, which yeah. honors... Aubrey the, Plaza hosted it this year. Right, and, and it honors the best indie films. But when we say indie films, we just mean ones that aren't made by like major production studios. So yeah. a lot of the films that are on here <laughs> were films that we saw. So Eighth yeah. Grade, First Reformed, which is that one about the Catholic Church that yeah. I really want to see. Uh, you were never really here. Oh, three cool. titles that were in the that won the most nominations in this award ceremony. And there are so, films that were completely ignored by the Oscars this right, year. Right, and we saw them. So I actually think like a good, an interesting comparison. Let's look at the editing, the best editing nominations for this one. And right. Yeah. Right. So just quickly, the award for best editing was won by You Were Never Really Here, which yeah. we both really liked. But I think watching that movie, one thing that even we noted in the episode that we recorded about it was how kind of jarring 
some of the cuts were and how effectively yeah, they kind of gave you like it was a it, they almost managed to convey the the sensations that accompany PTSD through editing which yeah, is no, you're right. very like, admirable. sound editing specifically I noticed that like when he's in, when he was in his house for example and it snapped to him being in the city and the sound is immediately up and the the picture like it's a lot more busy and everything right. yeah and absolutely. I think it matched I think the sound editing was matched well with the visual editing as well. Yeah. I don't. They don't have an award for sound editing, so maybe they're actually mm. taking all of that into account. Yeah, maybe. A film that we noted for having a really strange sensation that we both really liked is Whatever the one that winning. won Best Edi- oh, Editing, cool. right? So, so, as an example, like I think Bohemian Rhapsody is just a jumbled pile of crap where most of the time <laughs> they're just focusing on the person saying the line for the duration of the line and then they cut to the person saying the next line. Yeah. <laughs> they don't bother to linger or use the editing in a useful way way and I think that's what people are a bit incensed about at best it's very vanilla and at worst it's bad yeah so I think yeah to start off with this category was a real stinker and I gotta say it was not uphill from here yeah no <laughs> so um Black Panther won a few awards this year yeah Black Panther won for best costume design which I kind of agree with I, I yeah I think the yeah. ones that Black Panther won I actually pretty much agreed with yeah it won for best original score as well mm. And it won for best adapted screenplay, so it, it cleaned up. Right. Th- it got it got three Oscars at the end of it all. Interesting point in comparison with this indie award ceremony. So yep. they're called the Spirit Awards. That's what I'll call them from now on. Yeah. So the the this has two categories. So the Oscars has best adapted screenplay and best original screenplay. Right. Yeah. This has best screenplay and best first screenplay. That's cool. Which I think honors people who have had a first foray into this kind of That's world. That's really cool. And best first screenplay went to Bo Burnham, eighth hey, grade. Hey, no, I right? saw I saw him uh, receive the award for this. I think it was this award ceremony yeah. where they'd sat him like way up the back of the theater. And he didn't expect to win. And he didn't even yeah. expect to win. And so when he finally got called down, he didn't even have a speech or anything. Yeah. He was like, oh, I mean, thank you. I have no idea. And the camera tries to pan back to like look at the table where all his like castmates and uh people from the film are sitting yeah the camera couldn't zoom in enough to look so at the people on the focus. table because they were so far away <laughs> it's funny <laughs> um, another notable one from that category was Thoroughbreds Corey Finley which oh. I thought was really good these are the kind of films ages ago? that we actually enjoy no it came out last year maybe we so. should look at this list and try and th- we could do an episode based off some of the films from this list I reckon cool. next time this comes around we should just take note of what these categories are right because yeah. I think this is a vastly better award ceremony well, best, best screenplay films that suit our interests a lot more yeah best Screenplay yeah. went to Can You Ever Forgive Me, but um, nominees from that, Sorry to Bother You and First Reformed, right? Now, I really like the quality of nominations that are coming up here. So, Black Panther got three awards. Yep. We said that. Roma got quite a few awards, just, yeah, to, uh, just to whiz through the ones that on. Roma got quickly. So, it, it got Best Cinematography, Best Foreign Language Film, and Best Director. Right. I think I maybe got to go back and watch that because <laughs> I was in a real shit mood when I, I watched I d- it. I have to watch it for the first yeah. time now. I'm I'm pretty keen. But loads of people are real keen on that. So I don't know if they have best foreign language film at your little awards thing there. What, what was no. best cinematography on your list for the Independent S- Spirit Awards? So best cinematography went to Suspiria, which is a supernatural horror film um, inspired by a 1977 Italian film of the same name, Mandy was also a nominee. So I'm fucking interested to watch Suspiria if it managed to beat out Mandy for cinematography. Best director went to Barry Jenkins with uh, If Beale Street Could Talk. We gotta watch that, which man. Which makes I think me wanna watch that. I think I, I, think <laughs> I wrote it off. You just the trailer and we're like, nah, not a good trailer. Uh, but we don't like trailers. No, I don't. Mm. So best director, uh, 
the other one, uh, you, Lynn Ramsey with You Were Never Really Here, also up for Best Director, and Paul Schrader, First Reformed. So both of those also now on my must-watch list, I think. Yeah, okay. I think whizzing through to the top, because I don't know how much people just want to hear us uh, listen to, like, uh, read out lists. Um, best Actor and Actress were Remy Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody and Olivia Colman for The Favourite. Right. And then Best Supporting Actor and Supporting Actress were Mahershala Ali for Green Book and Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk. Okay. I think that Remy Malek's Oscar was deserved. I think his performance was so good. I think that he got all the movements right. He really immersed himself in the character. And you can hate that movie as much as you want. And I think it's like a popcorn kind of movie. I think his performance as Freddie Mercury was unreal. Mm. And I don't think there's really anything else in this category that impresses me very much at all. Like, I, I didn't... Granted, I didn't see, like, half of them, but right. I didn't hear very much about them. And the only other one on the list that I would have gone for is Christian Bale as Dick Cheney. And I that, probably would have picked that as a win, honestly. But I, I, I yeah. think they impressed me equally. And if anything, it impressed me even more that this newcomer had gotten um, this, mm. this role so down pat. Uh, conversely, Ethan Hawke in First Reformed won yep. um, at this one. Joaquin Phoenix was nominated for You Were Never Really Here. Yeah. And then Glenn Close won uh, in for her performance in The Wife. Yeah. Which I didn't see, but uh, there's some really interesting noms here. Uh, Tony Collette in Hereditary. Was totally, Hereditary was totally overlooked in the Oscars this year yeah, as well. Yeah, it was. And also Elsie Fisher in 8th grade was up for Best Female Lead, which is fucking impressive That's considering awesome. she's like 15. Yeah. That is a crazy nomination. And Best Supporting went to uh, Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me? And Best Female Supporting went to uh, Regina, Regina King, King again for If Beale Street Could Talk. Yeah, okay. I mean, Olivia Coleman gave like the best uh, award acceptance speech. It was real cute. It was. <laughs> she was yeah. like shouting at her kids at home and like uh, being like, oh, my husband's crying. Ho, 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 ho. Yeah. I think when she won a, a BAFTA, she got up there and thanked them for the nice sandwiches. <laughs> The end, the end of her speech was, and Lady Gaga, and then yeah, and then <laughs> she just walked off. That's <laughs> um, pretty then, of course, impression. <laughs> uh, and then, and of course, uh, the last one we might go through. Then I suppose is Best Picture, mm. which went to Green Book for the Oscars. So well, I'm, I'm going to really quickly note. Yeah. Uh, Best feature in this award ceremony went to If Beale Street Could Talk. Okay. Other notable things, Eighth Grade, First Reformed, You Were Never Really Here, and then Leave No Trace, which I haven't really heard of. Obviously, uh, Green Book is a major motion picture, but that was one that I think people had a lot of trouble yeah, with. Yeah, I mean, people have heard our episode about it, so they heard what we said about mm. the fact that it probably didn't depict the racial issues in the film very sensitively right. or it wasn't necessarily a very good depiction of race so i think that um the fact that it won and garnered perhaps all this perhaps undeserved recognition as being or certainly undeserved recognition as being this amazing film that like oh, isn't hollywood doing such a great thing by really talking about race it's like well you're not really though i <laughs> Yeah, so I wanted to get into this. So we can just move on. We don't have to talk, talk about that anymore, do we? <laughs> I wanted to get into this because I actually learned a lot the more that I started digging about this, right? Yeah. And even beyond the ham-fisted interaction with race, yeah, the way that this film came to be made is actually pretty messed up. It's really wild. Like, I saw a headline about how um, the guy... So the guy who wrote it is the son of the main character yeah. in the film. And he apparently... The, the film throughout his production, didn't reach out to Don Shirley, the Pinter Play's family at all. Right. And he was asked about it recently, and he goes like, oh, I guess I just didn't really realize they were around. <laughs> yeah, that's... And <laughs> like, depending not- on 
I'll I'll will t- touch on that in a sec. But depending yeah. on who you ask, there are different stories about how much they tried to talk to the family, right. how much they did talk to the family, how they asked the family, and how the family says actually no, no one asked <laughs> us. Like yeah, it's fucking yeah. crazy. So I found this article called "How Green Book and the Hollywood Machine Swallowed Donald Shirley Whole." Hell yeah! So Don Shirley is the uh, Mahershala Ali's character in the in piano player in, Green in the film, book, yeah. and also the the actual real person that existed, (laughs) right? And this article looks at the perspective of the family a lot more. Yeah, sure. And how that kind of went. So it describes how Edwin Shirley III sat watching the screening of the movie. Edwin is Don's nephew. Yeah. So Don was his uncle. And Don Shirley actually died in 2013, so six years before this film was actually released, or five years, I guess. Yeah, math checks out. The first thing that happened here is a lot of this film has been very strongly divorced from reality, right? Sure. So, though Dr. Shelley did actually hire him as a... Uh, uh, did hire Tony Vallelonga as a driver and a bodyguard, yeah. it's very much disputed the actual kind of interaction that they had. And it was And we described... talked about that a bit on the episode about how, like, um, I think his brother, Don Shelley's brother or something, was like, no, nah, they weren't friends. Fuck off. Yeah, it was apparently purely professional. Um, and he... Fu- I think that, that, that one interesting fact here was that the longest that anyone lasted as in that in that role in real life was two months. He never held on to anyone longer than two months because... That's probably how long the two is went for. No, it was because he got sick of people and fired them heaps. Right. And Valalonga was, was no exception to that. So, this film is described by various family members of, of Dr. Shelley, one quote is that it was a, a symphony of lies. Ed- Edwin described it as rather jarring for, for a lot of different reasons. He was disturbed at the way that Dr. Shelley's character was portrayed. Don Shelley was friends with Martin Luther King. Yeah. He was present in the march in, in Selma and uh, close friends with like Nina Simone and Duke Ellington. That was completely skimmed over. Um, so it looks his, like some clueless shut-in. Yeah, so was his significant movie. education. Basically, he grew up learning the piano in Pensacola, right? He didn't go to Europe like in the thing. He wasn't educated by a European school, which is another interesting thing because that actually makes it seem like you you can't learn what you need to learn in order to be good in, in the U.S. In, in in black U.S., you have to yeah. go and learn it in Europe and then come back, right? Which um, implies that there's some sort of institutional problem with the culture of the time. Or yeah, whatever. and I guess like to w- without reading the whole article, maybe I'll put a link in the description because I think it's a really interesting read. Yeah, this movie they've been trying to make this movie for about thirty years now, and right. one of the really interesting things that came out <laughs> in this article would have been a lot more expensive to commit to the sixties period. Thirty years later, they're like, "Fuck, man, it's getting a lot more expensive." Yeah, well, interestingly <laughs> enough, we've done this in the eighties. We could have been like, "Hey, get that jacket out of your closet." So, as far as the family knows, Dr. Shelley refused to give Nick Vallelonga permission to make this film. He right. said no. Uh, and one of the things that he said is that, and this is a quote from him, or at least a quote from Edwin remembering his words. Right. He says, no matter what they say to me now about the way that I'll be portrayed, I will never have any control over how I am portrayed. And I think yeah. that was very true and, and very well informed. And, and the family, in this article at least, is sort of sitting back and still reeling about how their their understanding is that he said no to this, and then yeah. all of a sudden, 30 years later, this film is coming out. And actually, a lot of members of the family found out that the film was coming out because a young girl in the family alerted them to an Instagram post that was an ad for the movie. Right. Which is fucking insane. That is fucked. I mean, that's this fucked. This is the family of, these, yeah. of, of this guy. So, I think... To, to sort of summarize this article in a very reductionist fashion, but one that yeah. I think is also pretty fair, is that the more that you read into this, 
the more that this film isn't just exploitative in the way that it depicts the relationship between Don Shirley and Tony Vallelonga, but yeah. the way that this film got made is extremely exploitative. Yeah. And, and that's I mean, way worse. I suppose I that's an... I mean, you, you could argue that, like, both sides of the story here have a pretty good incentive to lie and shit all over this movie. Like, the, the family... I would, I I would mean, argue not that. Yeah, so... <laughs> Um, you could you could argue that like both sides of the story have a pretty good incentive to lie. Like the family could um, see this publicity. movie coming out that they didn't get anything from and be right. like, well, fuck this movie then. We'll shit all over it. And then on the other side of things, you've got these people that spend all this time trying to make the movie who are like, oh, no, it's great. It's a good movie. No, everything we said is good. It's, you know, we... No, we asked them. Of course we tried to ask them. Um, but, like, I definitely see how, on the other side of the story, it's like, well, the, the movie was like had a fucked representation of these characters anyway. So, like, I'd be more inclined to believe the family. And, uh, like... I would be a lot more inclined to question the statements of the people who have million dollars worth of investments in this. Yeah, I mean... Above the family I mean, of the person. The family also has a huge emotional investment in it as well. And, like... for. I, I think can definitely see more of a reason to be honest. I, yeah. Oh no, I don't know. I mean, I could definitely see how it could also be a um, a reason to be very overly critical of the film. And the film is obviously worthy of criticism, but like, I can just definitely see how like it could easily just be like one brother who's like, oh fuck this movie, I didn't get a payout, I'm gonna shit all over it. I think it's easy to criticize the Hollywood machine for nothing, and we don't know who's we don't we don't know for a fact that either side's telling the truth. You know? Uh, well, I mean, the movie is fucked though. <laughs> That's just an interesting defense because, like, like I'm presenting a reasonable amount of evidence from the, one from the family like, member. No, this is, like, six family members that have all come out and said, like, we weren't asked. It, it's various people. They, they are responding with different strengths. He's predominantly talking to this guy, Edwin, but this is consistent with the rest of the family as yeah, well. And yeah, and their, I mean, whole, their whole family is basically <laughs> And just it's consistent with the rest of the tone of the film, which seems, like, pretty blasé and disrespectful yeah. anyway. People sort of, you know, one of the main defenses, I think, used by uh, Nick Vallelonga about his dad was like, well, he said, like, that this was the case. And never mind that the person's family, like, that Don Shelley's family sort of said, well, I mean, objectively, this isn't true. But also, like, part of his character is that he was a bullshit artist. Right? <laughs> He's fondly remembered for making a lot of shit up and kind of manipulating yeah. people into it. Like, yeah. that's, if you assume that that is true then it's unlikely that this story that he was telling kind of a, an accurate retelling of, of the way that they interacted. Yeah, I mean, y y uh, we can't know, but it definitely sounds like the movie's a bit fucked. Well, like, also, like, just flat out, Hollywood does a lot of bad shit. Yeah, exactly. Probably more exactly. bad shit than good shit. Yeah. So if I had to choose, I'm very much choosing to believe what the family is saying here until I'm presented with evidence otherwise. Because yeah, I mean, presented with those... Well, all, all of the... It's, First of all, it's it's anecdotal from both sides in this, right? Because this is just the producers and Nick Vallelonga basically yeah. defending their right to have made this film and royally fucked it to absolutely no punishment because it just won Best Picture. And it's fucked it at one best millions picture. of dollars of profit. Yeah. Because millions of dollars. I definitely think there were loads of better, not loads, there were a couple of better films last year that we saw on the podcast. Like Black Klansman and Sorry to Bother You were a lot better films that touched on race in a way that was really great. I th and now, I think the, that. The more that I know about this, the more it's a bad fucking movie. Yeah. It's, it, it is approaching subject matter that if you can't like get pretty it insensitively. right, it's a bad movie. Yeah. You know, it, like regardless of whether or not the 
editing is fine or whatever the yeah. fuck. Like, this is a terrible movie and it's horribly exploitative. And I think yeah. it's really, the more that you learn about it, the more, maybe I'm not really conveying what's in this article, but the way that it's... Yeah, no, yeah. We'll, we'll link the article. Everyone can read it. I definitely think it's a shame that it won Best Picture because even on this list, there are other films that I think were more worthy it's of just It's winning. very emblematic. And for me, it was like, I've always been a little bit frustrated with the Oscars, but I've been frustrated before because the thing that I wanted to win didn't win. Yeah. I haven't been frustrated before because I've understood that the depth to which it's like a, an institutionally problematic award ceremony. It just seems a bit self-congratulatory. Like there, there was a film on the list about race and they're like, oh, let's let this film win and say we did a good job. Did you, uh, y- you weren't watching the, the video, right? But like the people who got up to collect the awards for Green Book, it was like a, a crowd of like 10 white guys. Yeah. <laughs> And <laughs> yeah, no like good. two black guys off to the side. Mahershala Ali actually ended up calling the family after he found out that they weren't consulted, basically apologizing and saying, I'm sorry, they're kind of, I didn't know and I didn't look into it. And they told me that there really wasn't much to go off. So I just watched a bunch of public stuff. Also, there's this photographer called Joseph Astor who yeah. filmed Don Shirley as part of a documentary called Last Bohemia. He ended up filming Don Shirley a bunch over about a decade, yeah. spending heaps of time with him. And Astor watched the film and realized that they had taken a bunch of lines out of his interviews and used them in the script without permission. That sucks. It's like the more that you look into it, the yeah. more just fucking revolting yeah, this fuck film is. Movie. I, I, I <laughs> absolutely abhor this movie. Yeah, that sucks. For me, it's, it's enough to sort of... It's part of the reason I was looking for a different awards ceremony because I just yeah. don't really want to support it anymore. Well, the problem um, is the Oscars has such prestige that like no one's going to give much of a shit if you say like, oh, I won like an Indie Spirit Award or whatever. It's like, sure, it's a great awards ceremony. The awards for awards to movies we like, but it's got to build up its own prestige. I think outside of Hollywood, people in the film industry do care You'd about those so. other types of awards. Um, and certainly, you know, people like maybe us, other people that actually care. Yeah. Yeah, well, if, we're, if we're still going next year, then we can definitely. definitely I personally do that. am going to follow the Spirit Awards. Yeah, um, and I sort of couldn't give two shits about the Oscars other than to check in on how it's still a shitty institution. Yeah, all right. Um, that's, that's yeah. <laughs> so there's so there's the the news. I, I think it's just an important thing to discuss, considering that a lot of the headlines are going to be Green Book wins Best Picture, and if yeah. you haven't looked into it, that looks like Hollywood awards. It's most prestigious award to a film that tackles the issue of racism in the in America. Mm. And it's like, no, a bunch of white guys exploited the story of a black man um, and they're making a lot of money out of it and gaining a lot of recognition for themselves. Yeah, no, fuck that movie. So yeah. it sucks. Well, it that, really sucks. <laughs> does that bring us to the end of our Oscars coverage for this, yeah, this episode then? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Should we start talking about Forrest Gump then? Yeah, this so that is the film that we watched. It will be in the title, <laughs> but we haven't talked on it since since we started. So, um, well, Welcome to the coverage of Forrest Gump. Um, a listener request. A li- oh, no, not a listener request. Interestingly, <laughs> a this, non-listener is, request. this is the first request that we've had where someone says, I'll listen to your fucking podcast if you cover this movie. <laughs> So, boy, hello to Brad. Is that enough to win a server? <laughs> hello so to Brad, Brad. If you've made it through half an hour of us ranting about race problems, yeah, in, maybe get him to Green skip Book. to forty-four minutes. Huh? Nah, man. If you, <laughs> if we respect that chat, we will have left it. Hello, in. Brad. <laughs> yeah, hello, actually, Brad. Yeah, Brad. Um, listen to the first part. <laughs> People will be board. like, what are you talking about? That only went for like nine minutes. <laughs> Sounded <laughs> no, pretty gone. janky. And I'm not editing that at all, <laughs> including the bits where we said stuff twice. <laughs> Listen, I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, um, I'd never seen Forrest Gump before. Neither had I. This is a film that uh, 
It's been part of... People have mentioned it to me for years. I think the first time I heard of Forrest Gump was back in year nine when the kid I sat next to, Alex, um, was so surprised that I'd never seen Forrest Gump. <laughs> little peek behind the curtain there. First time we did that run, Oscar named him. First and <laughs> last name, name, we did it again. Address, phone number, <laughs> Same everything. Him, yeah. um, Gave out GPS coordinates for his current location. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'd never... I sort of just never gotten around to seeing it. I watched it, so I watched it for the first time the other day. And I think I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so directed by uh, Robert, Robert Zemeckis, Robert Zemeckis baby, who is most famous for also doing the Back to the Future series. As well as Who Framed Roger Rabbit, another yeah. movie I have not um, seen. Absolutely huge director. Yeah, look, a- who the fuck hasn't heard of Forrest Gump? But yeah. I guess I, I didn't realize who... Like, I didn't who, realize who worked it was, well, on this, see, right? I, I didn't realize it was the same guy that did Back to the Future. Back to the Future is, obviously it's iconic, but it's really famous for its use of special and visual effects. Right. And particularly towards the second and third movie, the way in which it combined what was quite early computer graphics with practical effects in a way that worked seamlessly and worked really well. Um, there are whole, if you can be bothered, you can go watch like whole hour-long video essays about the way in which specific effects were done in Back to the Future. Mm. So I think it's really interesting that one of the next films he's sort of gone on to do is Forrest Gump. Right, which is which really seems like a straight drama that doesn't have any effects in it at all, or it doesn't look like it does. Right, and Back to the Future as a trilogy came out 85, 89, and then 90, right? Yeah. And then Forrest Gump was 94. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy to me that these... that. Forrest Gump came out after Back to the Future because of how, here we go, futuristic <laughs> the sen- the setting is of, of Back to the Future, but also that it yeah. feels like a lot more of a modern film to me. Yeah, absolutely. So like, it's kind of interesting. Back to the he- Future feels really almost cheesy and 80s as fuck. I mm. suppose because they started doing it, in the, they would have started filming in the early 80s I and they had Back to, to keep the a Future consistent feels tone. more modern, is what I'm saying. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh. I, I think Forrest Gump feels like a, you know, like an early 80s manuscript that just is made with like no, I, 90 style cinematography, see, I guess. So the way I, so I, I, at first I wasn't very, at first it seems like there's nothing in Forrest Gump. Like it feels like there's, it's just a straight drama until you work out how much effort they had to put into specific effects. Yeah. So this is like the early 90s. Computer graphics aren't a big thing yet. So like you've just had early computer graphics that resulted in Jurassic Park. Uh, Jurassic Park. So you, that was a combination of practical effects and early computer graphic type mm. stuff that ILM worked on. You have a bit of computer graphics ILM that was going into... That, yeah, the yeah. special effects company. Um, a bit of computer graphics that went into films like uh, Back to the Future, obviously. Um, and then you sort of get to Forrest Gump and you're like, oh, well, it doesn't really seem like there's anything going on here. But no, this is in the early 90s. They have a whole actor whose legs are digitally deleted to make him look like an amputee for the whole film. It's you have Dan. You, yeah, you have Forrest Gump edited into all sorts of situations where it looks like he's interacting with real life uh, historical figures. Shaking so there's a whole Kennedy's scene. hand and yeah. meet, meeting Nixon and having them exchange words. So that whole famous scene where he's in the White House and he tells, Nick, uh, he tells Kennedy that he's really got to pee. Mm. Um, I didn't realize it's a lot more complicated than I thought. I thought that maybe they had audio of Kennedy saying that and they had audio. No, but they didn't. They had to like digitally animate frame by frame Kennedy's lips to say different things. They got an, in, they, they got a, an impersonator to say the line and then animate the lips. And they tried to just sort of like splice his, li- his splice mouth the lips onto, onto it, but they said it looked fucked. Work. And yeah. so they had to then like 
change tracks to do mm. the way more complicated that thing. That three seconds of footage took six months. Yeah. Six months of yeah. like full-time people working on it. So they had to like, do they had to do like early blue screen technology. I watched like the most 90s ass making of thing where it was like, mm. this amazing new blue screen technology eliminates the need for the time intensive rotoscoping process. And like <laughs> So rotoscoping would mean that they would have to manually hand, draw. basically hand draw every frame. Yeah. So and so they're digitally doing that. Yeah. But it means that they can do it faster and to a much greater level of quality, which means that it just looks shitty 90s. Yeah. But... It's got this black and white film grain on it because the original Kennedy footage is from the 60s. It's Mm. just incredible. There's a lot more going on in every single scene where there's an effect in Forrest Gump. There's a lot more going on there than you ever would have thought, and it's compounded in complexity by the fact that it was made like 25 years ago. Yeah. So... um, the, one of the most complex scenes in the whole film, if you had to guess, you wouldn't. It's the opening intro with the feather that's just yeah. floating around the place. Yeah. Because they had to blue screen film a feather and then they had to do this big sort of helicopter sweeping crane shot that goes in onto Forrest Gump's foot and then the feather lands on his foot. So they had to um, have the feather stuck to his foot the whole time and then digitally erase it out as the camera's sweeping in on it. And then the digital feather... That's becomes not there, the real becomes the, the real feather frame. that was stuck to his foot the whole time. And all sorts of shit like that. It's like a real huge pioneering leap forward mm. in visual effects. And the fact that it just seems like a normal drama where all this crazy shit's going on behind the scenes you don't even really realize is wild to me. Yeah, I was really impressed. The more I learn about it, the more I, the more I really, really loved it. So again, who the, who the fuck hasn't seen Forrest Gump? But for those of you... Us. Who, I think loads of people of you might not had, have. Right. Okay. Maybe you're right. Um... The the story is depicting this person's life, basically called Forrest Gump. Uh, it's a fictional story, a, obviously. Yes, fictional. Um, it was based on a novel of, of the same name by a fellow called Winston Groom. Uh, yeah. Came out in 1986, and it is basically a kind of whimsical story about a person who has like an IQ of 75. Yeah, this slow-witted guy from Alabama who turns out to lead a fantastical life anyway. And sort of not not be aware of how fantastical it is. Like through series of circumstances. So I think um, within the film we can sort of brush over the main beats of it. They're not really spoilers. I suppose if you want to be surprised by it, go watch it. You've had 25 years too. But so like... um, he finds out he can run really quickly from an early mm. age and that leads him to be like the world's best uh, football quarterback. And then he gets sent to Vietnam and he's like a hero. And there's all sorts of crazy things where he leads like one improbable successful life after another. He and becomes, he becomes like, an athlete the... sports star because right. he's the world's best ping pong player. Um, and all of that is taking place within the frame narrative of him sitting at a bus stop and talking to people As who sit down next to him. Yeah. And that kind <laughs> that of frames him. That is not him. a bus stop you'd want to be stuck on. No, and <laughs> yeah, it, it like, frames you, him you as You thought like, it was annoying when someone talks to you in an elevator. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and that, that's an interesting little, uh, little, little bonus of this movie because, like, that is done... I mean, it was... It's not the first frame narrative, but like I think it's done in a way that's now been kind of pastiched a lot. Um, but what it what it achieves is you're instantly ca- it, it instantly characterizes him as yeah. someone who has no fear of strangers, is quite polite, <laughs> but is completely unaware of himself and doesn't know that people don't want to talk to him. I definitely hate people talking to me in public. Right. So if that was supposed to be endearing immediately, I was like, oh, Forrest, I'd ignore you in an elevator. Yeah. Quick smile. You're a small personal hell <laughs> for a lot of people, mate. 
But no, uh, he's oh man, Tom Hanks is just so goddamn likable. Mm. He's the best. I think that I'm going to say this on the air now. I don't want. No, I was going to say like Tom Hanks is never going to have bad shit come out about him. I don't want anything bad to ever come out about Tom Hanks because he's just fucking perfect. He's lovely. You see all that shit on the internet where like someone will pass out in a bar and Tom Hanks will take selfies with them on his phone. Yeah. Um, he's just the best. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's what? always possible. <laughs> Anything can happen. No one's safe. So. No one's Who safe from having faith. done bad shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah, so uh, like, I guess that's the, uh, that's the overview. And yeah, he ends up meeting the president. There's a love interest named Jenny that goes through yeah. the whole time. He makes best friends with this dude called Bubba. Um, and they end up kind of... Uh, making plans to form this company called Bubba Gum Shrimp, which is something I've heard a lot before. Like just the phrase of the, as a you joke. can buy you can buy those hats, and yeah, grossly, and there's now a real shrimp company in the U.S. called Bubba Gum I think Shrimp. I, 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 <laughs> I briefly spent a tiny bit of time in the states when I was quite young, and I yeah. think I went past a real Bubba Gum Shrimp yeah. in Florida. So like, yeah, um, this is a a, a movie that's. Um, Huge culture a yeah. lot. Um, going into it because we're talking about the Oscars awards this week. Um, I was wondering if it won anything. It won six Oscars yeah, at fuck. the 67th Academy Awards. So in the 67th Academy Awards, it won Best Actor, Best Director. So Best Actor for Tom Hanks, Best Director, <laughs> Best Film Editing, Best Picture, Best Picture. Right. Best visual effects and best adapted screenplay. What did it beat out for best picture? Uh, thank you for asking. You <laughs> might remember that I asked you to familiarize yourself with the Shawshank Redemption this week uh. because <laughs> contentiously it beat the Shawshank Redemption. That is fucked. For best picture. Shawshank Redemption is a better movie than this. <laughs> Pol- so, uh, Holy oh, man. fuck. Oh, man. 94? So 19- I'm just thinking of the movies that came out in 94. So 19- the, the films came out in 94. So yeah, Pulp 99- Fiction. Pulp, it, it beat Four Weddings and a Funeral, Pulp Fiction, The Shawshank Redemption, and some film called Quiz Show. Forrest fuck Gump came out on top me, of that. Man. <laughs> so, so as a consequence of that, uh, Quentin Tarantino lost for Best Director for Pulp Fiction. Jesus because of Forrest- <laughs> Christ. <laughs> because of Forrest Gump. <laughs> Morgan Freeman lost for Best Actor because of Tom Hanks in Forrest Gump. Like, <laughs> this dumb fucking Forrest Gump comes into the awards <laughs> and absolutely cleans, cleans up. Everyone's stuck there with their dick in their hands. People like, What? <laughs> Quentin Tarantino releases his fucking masterpiece in a <laughs> in a year where fucking Tom Hanks is like Duh, and wins everything. <laughs> that rocks. Yeah, that's the ultimate. For- Isn't that the ultimate in Forrest Gump spirit? It is the idea that it just comes in and absolutely sweeps, sweeps the table. Oh man, that rocks. Yeah, that's gross. Wasn't it beat Pulp- the mask wasn't for best Pulp visual effects? No, oh, that's not right. <laughs> wasn't Pulp Fiction like a bit of a flop when it first came out? Though I thought it was one of those ones that gained a lot of popularity. Oh, like, I don't know enough release. about it. I mean, I'm maybe. Pretty sure. I think it's one of those ones where it's like stood the test of time, but um, wasn't hugely popular when it actually came out. I don't know. I honestly don't know enough about That's it. That's fucking rough. Yeah. Um, another thing that shocked me is <laughs> That's that so funny. Jenny, the main characters. <laughs> that, so Jenny, who is Robin Forrest, Wright, Forrest baby. Gump's love interest, is yeah, played by Robin Wright, who you may know as um, Mrs. House of Cards and uh, Princess Bride. Bride. She's right. the princess in the Princess Bride. Which I definitely still haven't seen. It's so good. Yeah. 
Oh, while we're on it, um, just thinking of famous fil- films I haven't seen. Thank yeah. you for the love day, lovely birthday present, listener Callum, who got me a copy of the hugely extended cut of <laughs> Titanic <laughs> on DVD, which I'm gonna have to find a way to watch somehow. So what? Like you don't have a DVD player? Uh, I can only well, just like watch you don't it. have four hours free. I can only watch it sitting <laughs> at my computer, but also both of those things. <laughs> and the, the time is more the obstacle, but yes. So no, I think the film just is a long film anyway. It says here on Wikipedia that Titanic, Titanic goes for two hundred minutes. Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> and this is an extended cut. Yeah. No, I, I think it's just a normal. No, it's not. I think it's just a long movie. Right. Yeah. Well, there we go. It's an extend. It's an extended cut. That doesn't get any shorter in any way. Look forward to that so, in 2020. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. What else is there to say about Forrest Gump? Like, it was... I, I, There were parts of it that were charming. Yeah. I think it's very much an artifact of its time. It absolutely feels a little bit dated. Yeah. Um, I mean... Even the representation of characters that, like, possibly are just differently abled. <laughs> like, yeah. it's kind of like... Yeah, it sort of skims over that. And they're definitely, like... Um, it's it, it, it they're exploited for comedic effect, which was pretty classic in the nineties. It's like, I mean, oh, yeah. someone with a developmental <laughs> disorder. How funny would it be if they achieved <laughs> shit? <laughs> it's like, there definitely is a bit of that. I feel like see, I, I'd be curious to read a find a reading of it that looks at like the different like I don't know ableist yeah messages in it or whatever. Well, that's pretty fucking ableist. I, I think, mean, but, but at the same time though, like he achieves everything. He goes on to succeed in a huge way. I can mm. definitely see how people would see it as empowering. Maybe. And maybe if anything, it's just a bit like I don't know, like the, the gag of the film is often just laughing at the dumb guy. Yeah. Which like I don't know, it gets a little bit old, but I think overall, I think the film is charming enough and fant- it's like a fantastical fantasy that's very much grounded in reality in a way that's really appealing. I right. Think. Like, I really like, I really love the idea that it just looks like a drama and you could totally believe that there's no special effects in it at all. Yeah. And like, I just love the idea that it's a real sleeper special effects movie. Like, there's a whole, like, the car modding community that I don't know a huge thing about often, like, you can watch people build sleeper cars where they'll get like the biggest piece of shit station wagon and put like a V8 engine in it and like turbocharge it right. and like do all this car shit that I don't understand <laughs> to make it like the fastest car in any city but block. It totally but normal. it looks like a piece of shit, yeah. or it looks it, it looks totally normal. Exactly, like you'd pull up to it at a drag rate at a drag race and no one would assume that you'd beat it. So I just love the idea. There's this like movie that just looks like a normal whimsical drama. That has a budget of fifty million dollars, yeah. and they had to like hoik like six months of special effects for one three second yeah. scene. So, like, can we just hire actors and have them dress like? No, it has to be historical footage, <laughs> or else the whole bit doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely. Uh, one thing that is also a massive artifact of its time is um, uh, Jenny as a character is. Uh, 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 I think pretty shallow and two dimensional. Like she, I, mean, I don't think she's very likable at all. She fucks off and does drugs, and then yeah. ends up kind of coming back and stringing him along and having sex with him, and then leaving, and then showing up and being like, "I'm sick, and yeah, I, I, I mean, also need you to do this thing for me that's going to require you to commit to something for the rest of your it life." It kind of seems like Jenny's a piece of shit. Jenny is a bit of a piece I of mean, shit. <laughs> she's a troubled person, but also yeah. a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. and I kind of. <laughs> her her entire character also sort of centers around um, either having personal issues or being an object of desire for 
Forrest Gump. So, well, like, I, I, yeah, it's I mean, about I him, that, but like, I think that that, yeah. that comes down to like Forrest Gump being like a dumb guy, mm. and like I don't know, maybe not having like the emotional intelligence enough to understand what he's doing. But I think on Jenny's part, I think Jenny comes out as just being like really troubled and kind of selfish, and like she's got a lot of shit going on in her own life, and she doesn't really give a fuck about Forrest. So right. I think it's kind of this weird kind of bittersweet ending where Forrest is thrilled to have to be with Jenny. To almost, spoiler alert out of nowhere for Forrest Gump. Um, Forrest is thrilled to like yeah, be well, with... Yeah, well, unspoiler alert, it no, ain't whatever. that simple. Yeah. But um, he's like thrilled to be with Jenny at the end of the movie and the whole audience is like, oh, yeah, but like, come on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she just wants you for your shrimp money, not <laughs> Forrest. I, I, I read another thing that was looking at, uh, again, in, in my... Um, uh, Warpath of how shit the Oscars was. <laughs> um, just looking at a bunch this, of this um, Forrest Gump episode for such a long time coming has been absolutely corrupted by Green Book winning the Oscars last week. Yeah, and the difference. <laughs> uh, I found this chart that looks at the difference in speaking time between genders, and it's seeing this has been making me think like, fuck yeah, what about other older films that I've yeah. watched recently? And this would be a the Forrest Gump would be a bad one. So like Bohemian Rhapsody, eight percent. Uh, is female dialogue. Yeah. Uh, Black Landsman, 10% is female dialogue. Green Book, 12%. Vice, 18%. Black Panther, 30%. A Star is Born. What's up the top of the list? 36. There are only two films that are above 50%, and that is The Favourite, which is unsurprising with three female protagonists, and Roma, which is 90%, which is really cool. Roma's like mainly female protagonists. Yeah, right. (laughs) So the only two, there there were only two films on that list of like huge award winners that um, actually starred, you know, predominantly female. Well, see, that's an an interesting question. Which averages out to 29% across all of those films, female dialogue, which is fucked. It's fucked. And I think it's an interesting way to sort of discuss how you... The reason I'm bringing that up is because I reckon this movie would be like... 30% 30% or lower. Well, probably because Forrest Gump starts by like um, being in a, in a football team with football guys and then he goes into the army which is all yeah. guys and then he goes in as a professional athlete with all guys and then he goes and meets the president in politics in the six, in the 80s which is all guys. Yep. So like, I think it's an interesting... There's like Lieutenant Dan and also Baba <laughs> who are both, yeah. Mm. Well, see, I think it's an interesting question to ask about how on the one hand, it's like if you want to tell that story... How do you tell the story and make it like a female story as well? Right. And then it's the question of like, well, is that is that necessary to just try and get female characters in because you've got a statistic? But on the other hand, it's like, well, how can how can we all tell stories that have a more equal representation in them? Is that what people want? Is it better perhaps that we just have stories that like have this is a this is a male story, these are female stories. By necessity, that's how the story was written. Or is I, I think the question is why do so many stories get written? And you're right. Are, it's that just that I think that there needs yeah. to be more female stories written. Yeah. I think that like it's easy to look at that and be like, oh, there needed to be more women in Forrest Gump. It's like, yeah, well, like, like if no, someone no, wants to tell a story about a guy that's in the army and then football, he's yeah. allowed to do that. It's like Forrest Gump needs to be part of the fifty percent of films that are made from like a on the masculine side of the yeah. the, the, the gender spectrum, right? So, yeah. I, I think fixing that up is is um, yeah. I don't know. I think I think it's easy to see that stat and read it the wrong way. I just think it means that like we need more films with women in them. Uh, well, we've done it. We fixed it. There's no problems <laughs> with gender and uh, yeah. I anyway. mean. Yeah, I mean, twenty nine percent is a horrifying number. Without getting too hardcore B to station, like, I think that there's a whole bunch of like systematic Hollywood type problems about like women in the industry that just means that like that's going to be a long term oh, yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, but I think uh, yeah, it's just it's it's really um it's it's very interesting to see like even when you have these films that are at least attempting to engage with issues of inequality around race. Yeah, it's like yeah, 
it's still 30% women speaking, <laughs> speaking roles. Like it's not even, it's not even, you're not even arguing like industry conditions or like equal pay or like yeah. why are women always cast because they have to reveal their bodies and men are cast because they actually need to be well-developed characters. It's like, no, literally words, <laughs> yeah. words on the screen, 30 to 70% mm. is incredible anyway. Yeah. Going back to Forrest Gump, I think it really is interesting what I was talking about, about how like it's like a fantasy st- it's like it's got like a fantasy tone to it. A movie that I think a lot of people haven't seen is Big Fish, which is a Tim Burton film. <laughs> I was literally about to mention that. I've got yeah. it open on my screen right here. I think it's very, very similar. Big I Fish felt, and Forrest Gump. So Big Fish came out in what year? Two thousand two thousand three. Three, right? And so and I think it draws a lot of mm, influence. And from that's this got movie. a very similar tone about it. The Big Fish is a film about a guy telling <laughs> the secondhand story. <laughs> Yeah, fuck, right? Uh, oh, man. <laughs> Big Fish is Real a story bad. about this person who's telling the story about his his dad's exploits when he was a kid. <laughs> He's sort of telling stories about what happened. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <sighs> I hate this one. Big Fish is a bad movie. <laughs> Big Fish is a man telling a story about... Um, about other men. What, about what his dad got up to when his dad was his age. Like, oh, when my dad was a young man, he yeah. was wandering around in the woods in America and he met this guy in this crazy village in the middle of a forest. And so it's set in the modern day and then it sort of flashes back to his dad's uh, adolescence it's in the 60s. But it's this similar fantasy kind oh, of no, thing. Oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, like a, it's a similar kind of... Uh, it, it's fantastical story. A likable. Well, his his character is a lot more likable than um than Forrest Gump. But like, yeah. it's a it's a story about a a, a likable man that finds himself in just the most ridiculously extraordinary circumstances. Yeah, so does similar shit. Like meets the president is a paratrooper and works in a circus and chases the love of his life in fact yeah there's a lot of like stencil similarities it's similar stuff and it, it definitely feels it with both of these films they were like how crazy would it be if we wrote a film about a guy that did all these things and they mm. just made a crazy old list and then wrote a story that ties them all together it's like and i think 10 it's years really f- later right i think yeah. they probably like maybe loved forrest gump and and sort of looked at that mm. for influence yeah and i think it's a really fun way of writing a movie as like all these different set pieces and emotional beats in a mm. I think it really feels like a movie movie, if you know what I mean. Like, it really feels like like they're having fun with the art form. I I didn't see Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. Do you feel like that was similar? Oh, sort of. Sort. I mean, Walter Mitty, I think, is definitely a lot more directioned, and the um, the ending to Walter Mitty is a total crock of shit. You happy if I spoil the ending to Walter Mitty? No, I'm gonna watch it. Okay. Well, the ending's a crock of shit. Right. Um, (laughs) But um, no, I think I mean Walter Mitty. No, I don't think is very similar. Okay. Um, But I think that. I think it's one of my favorite styles of film mm. is this kind of like fantastical, fantastical kind of adventure that's ground, n- not necessarily like <laughs> a Lord of the Ringsy kind of world. Yeah. And I don't think you get it very much. And I think because it's so unique, it's always a bit of a breath of fresh air when you get that kind of movie. Right. Maybe it's like an old fashioned kind of style of filmmaking where it's not even like a specific franchise and it's not like a long sequence of movies that are going to be all these sequels or anything it's just this weird little drama mm. with a huge budget yeah I mean I prefer in general I prefer standalone films to anything in a series and I like when films just tackle their own little story it's self-contained and, yeah. and they sort of cover that so yeah in a way um, I love Big Fish it's one of my favourite films yeah. ever um, I think it's a beautiful movie uh, and it's uh, it uh, affected me a great deal when I first saw it I thought it was just wonderful um, so, but I wouldn't say it's my favorite style 
of a film. So it's interesting. I just think every single time I've seen a film that reminds me of Big Fish or is like a, a similar kind of thing, I just think that it's um it's really resonated with me and I've really enjoyed it. Right. Um, and I think that I think that definitely Big Fish does what Forrest Gump's doing. But a lot better. A, a lot better. Yeah. Um, I don't think... I think Forrest Gump's still great. I think that Forrest Gump definitely shows its age a lot more. I mean, to be fair, Big Fish is about 10 years younger as a film. Yeah. And I think that you could probably say that Big Fish is definitely inspired still by Forrest Gump in a way. 15 years old now. Yeah. Um, but I really, I think I really enjoyed Forrest Gump and I'm surprised that I'd never seen it before. I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more if I'd seen it about 10 years ago. As a kid, yeah. Yeah, yeah my partner was telling me it's like a... Um, huge staple and it, it was a huge staple of like childhood films in their house yeah as like a 90s a bunch it's like a 90s kid film yeah. and i definitely feel like i mean it's obviously a film for adults but i feel like at a time when it was made i feel like if you have the sort of nostalgic appreciation for it you'd really love it yeah okay yeah yeah all right look uh, did, did you have like a favorite sequence in the film or like a favorite series of like a favorite story Good question. I really like the relationship between uh, Lieutenant Dan and Forrest. Mm. I think that was really great. And I like the way Lieutenant Dan's character progressed over the course of the whole film. I think that was one of the more... Beli- I mean, all the characters are deliberately a bit cartoony yeah. because of the fantastical way in which this film... Like, Jenny's this cartoony stripper hippie... Uh, strippy kind of <laughs> strippy that, that rocks <laughs> Jenny's like this um, degenerate it was a real slow burn I watched it kind of like crawl its way across then, your face <laughs> yeah. um, Jenny's this like degenerate strippy um, and then you've got like Forrest who is like the cartoony like village idiot type and then um, Lieutenant Dan who at the start of the film when you at the start of like the scenes where you meet him just feels that sort of like army like go get him general who runs into battle shirtless with a grenade in his mouth and then the way he sort of <laughs> If you know what I mean, like Mate, that kind of that's not going to help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I, but then the way in which he like develops over the course of the film and becomes like more human and has all these problems that um, he has to sort of go over and resolve. I think he's one of the only prob- one of the only characters in the film that gets like a proper kind of character arc. Mm. And I think it's really interesting that it's this little side character that you sort of find. I, I sort of find myself drawn to him every time he was on screen. I liked. Uh I, I feel <laughs> I wanted to cross check the uh Vietnam sequence that this film does with uh Apocalypse Now. Yeah. So I think it used about <laughs> about eight of the songs that Apocalypse oh. Now uses in within like a minute. It just goes yeah, through it's it's literally like a whistle stop tour of every Vietnam war song. I laughed out yeah. loud and wanted to spoil it for you when the choppers go down and you hear like the yeah. And like, like, is this fucking fortunate son again? Yeah, it is. I it, think yeah. it must be some sort of fucking union law that every time you make a film about the Vietnam War, you have to include Creedence Clearwater Revival. Because was like way eighties, right? Yeah, seventy six or something. Yeah, mm. it, it was. This was absolutely just like <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, we're in Vietnam. Let's fucking do Apocalypse Now. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, just, I think that was my favorite bit. Better yeah. than Worse Than, I reckon well, Big Fish is vastly better than this film. Yeah. It's just aged much better. It's directed by Tim Burton, and I think... Tim Burton he... doesn't have a lot of good movies. <laughs> I feel like Tim Burton's hit-to-miss ratio is, is nuts. It is, Like, actually. you don't get to see Tim Burton's name on a post and be like, that'll be great. You're like, oh. He used to. Yeah. But, like, yeah, this and uh, Nightmare Before Christmas are the two real... 
real awesome ones for Tim Burton. Anyway. And this doesn't feel really Tim Burton-y. It's the least, like... Because Tim Burton films feel like they're going to be this gothic... Big, big fish you're, you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like every Tim no, Burton... It if someone says it's a Tim Burton film, I assume it's going to look exactly like Sweeney Todd or like Edward Scissorhands or like uh, fucking Nightmare Before Christmas. Like, Nightmare Before Christmas is the most... I love all of the, the movies most, you've yeah, just yeah. listed. But I mean, like, they have a very... like. But it surprises me that Big Fish has a completely different aesthetic. Like, he has mm. a very specific gothic fucking... It looks like Robert Smith started making movies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, yeah, To yeah, reference yeah, back yeah. to a million years ago yeah. when we started this episode. Yeah. Um, Big Fish has a totally different kind of tone to it. Yeah. Or like a different, it, it doesn't it, have that weird does. gothic aesthetic. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what is this better than? I don't know. Like... I mean, if, if you've mentioned Walter Mitty. I think it's better than Walter Mitty. Okay. Yeah, sure. Let's go yeah. with that then. I think Walter Mitty's just fine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Get absolutely fucked, Walter Mitty. You got beaten out by mm. someone who would. Oh, I think well, Walter Mitty's fine. It just makes it just seems like they're just trying to sell Bonnie Ver records and try and make you like they'd be like sold out to the uh, the Iceland Tourism Commission, right? Like Walter Mitty just makes you want to go to Iceland, and Iceland seems great. But mm. you know, it'd be better if the film was. I hear nice. good things. Yeah. yeah. Um. Before we get too far off the topic of Forrest Gump and end the episode, I, I the, the soundtrack in this film was just out of control, balls to the walls. The best soundtrack in any movie <laughs> ever. Specifically for you. Oh yeah, like it has like um, it had like you said all the all the fucking like Vietnam songs were so good. Like it had uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix's All on the Watchtower. It had Creedence Clearwater Revival. It has uh, Elvis. It's got Hound Dog in it. It's got all. Oh, sorts that bit of- was fucking funny. The uh, I don't. The, I don't- the bit where he's in. <laughs> So as a young kid, he's in leg braces, and there's this little side bit yeah. where he, he meets Elvis. And Elvis El- is like staying in the motel his yeah. mum's running. And he's like Elvis is like just strumming the guitar, and he's like dancing, but he's got these fucking leg braces on, and he's, he's like dancing all real, fucked. yeah. And so he's he's dancing like a like an idiot, and then like they walk past the television, like and years Elvis later, is on the Ed Sullivan Elvis show. is like doing the <laughs> doing, doing the, the, the wide yeah. Li- yeah the hip thing, and it just looks exactly like it. <laughs> <laughs> looks exactly like a kid in yeah. full leg braces. That that, that was probably my favorite. That was bit. cool. That's it's, fucking funny. Yeah. Um. Oh man, so much great stuff. It's got all sorts of Beach Boys shit on here. It's mm. got Simon and Garfunkel on here. It's like a greatest hits of the sixties and seventies. Yeah. Sweet Home Alabama, and as soon as that one, you're like, oh, yeah, because he's from Alabama. Because he's from right? Alabama. It had a lot of um, had a lot of that. A yeah. Lot of, a lot of Leonard Skinner in that movie. I really want one of them shrimp hats, man. <laughs> yeah, well, you could get them online. Yeah, if it wasn't for the fact that there's literally some dirty money grubbing business that just named themselves after that shrimp business in the movie. Yeah. Like I feel like the way I'd have to get them online would be to go to the shrimp business and buy a hat off them. Yeah. I feel probably. shit. No, you'd probably be able to get it through licensing. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like a very off-air conversation. I reckon. <laughs> Um, let us know what you thought about the Oscars results this year. We the one we missed out on that we missed before was the first man won for best visual effects, which is oh awesome. yeah, which I, I I absolutely didn't expect. Yeah, a few quick nods. So uh, best man for best VFX. Um, <laughs> first man. S- s- sorry, first man for best VFX. Um, Spider Man into the Spider Verse for best one for animated, animation, which yeah. was awesome. I think that was, that was also fantastic. truly well deserved. I think if you did, if you missed, and also did like a much much better job of any kind of racial interaction than almost any other contender in the entire ceremony. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe Black Klansman, but like that that movie was so incredible culturally, and yeah, visually, um, aesthetically, just. Uh, 
really it was an awesome movie if you on, missed it honestly the, the fact that it was animated was like yeah. it's, it's greatest strength and it's greatest weakness because it, it ruled it out of yeah. a lot of other categories because well, people wouldn't take it seriously but that was a fucking great movie I think it's objectively I, th- I think it's easy to ignore the film but the people that even went to see it were like yeah right Oscar will come with you and see a fucking animated Spider-Man yeah, movie right. and loved and re- were really impressed by and it and of course they loved it it's an incredible it's a great movie. movie I think it's worth going I it's a good DVD movie. Curl up on the couch and watch End of the Spider-Verse. Oh, yeah. Great. That's one of the easiest movies to watch mm. ever. Similarly, First Man was fantastic. I thought that was really good. One of so the I'm glad hardest that- movies to watch ever. <laughs> <laughs> I think both those movies were really good and I'm glad yeah. they got some recognition in the Oscars. Yeah. Um, is it time to uh, wrap? Uh, yeah? the, the favorite was like one of my best this year. Yeah. Um, I really loved that movie and I, I'm, I'm glad that at least at the BAFTAs he kind of cleaned up. Olivia yeah. Colman was so good as well. So, so good. I'm glad th- that she got... I think he sort best. of just missed out on all like the big one, all the big awards. Yeah, but so, which he, is a shame. It, but, yeah. it, it destroyed at the Baftas, so I guess he's probably like yeah, happy. Fucking Americans. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> is it time to wrap up? Wrap, I wrap up so. Yeah. I'm sorry we didn't get much onto Forrest Gump this week. I kind of enjoyed it. It sounds like you were less impressed by or less enthused by it. It sounds uh, like you, yeah, I'm just a little disillusioned. If I had to with describe it. describe it to you, it's, uh, why were you disillusioned with it? Uh, it was just an artifact of its time. I think I spent a little too long like dwelling on films that I now have learned have done that sort of stuff better. I spent a lot of time thinking like, I gotta watch Big Fish again. You know, it's, that, that it's type funny of thing. that we both thought of Big Fish because Big it Fish. It was a real. T- uh, the the tone was very echoey, like the, having a narrator narrating the things the whole time while they're undergoing just these yeah. uh, unfathomable circumstances that are very fantastical. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think there's a lot of similarity there. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, I think it might be time to wrap up the sh- wrap up the show then. Yeah. I'm sorry we didn't news? get on to. <laughs> I don't really have very much news. I figured the news at the very start of the show would be our news segment this week. Okay. I don't really have very much. No. One um, thing. We do have one massive bit of news. Oh, yeah. There's a new trailer for <laughs> our most anticipated picture of this year. <laughs> Detective Pikachu, oh, baby. Yeah, yeah boy. Uh, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds released a three-minute video of how he gets into character as Pikachu, and it's this whole black and white indie art house like <laughs> making love thing. It's hilarious. And I'm going to watch all of that after this film so comes good. out, because this last trailer... I, so, I watched 30 seconds, mm-hmm. and the... <laughs> The part where a Ludicolo is a bartender and it says its own name in a fucked way. Ludicolo. And I genuinely laughed out loud and I closed the thing because I, I want to see it, it has, for the first time in the magic of cinema. It has Machamp as a crossing guard because he's got four arms and all sorts of... Oh man, I just... So I, I, I've, come, I've come so full circle on this that I, I, I now am genuinely hopeful that it's The rest that of that trailer great. is wild, man. I, yeah, I don't... I, and P- do you just, the fact that Pikachu is... Actively addicted to coffee, <laughs> w- w- where it's they're, they're not just Did you going hear him with like, swear? oh, it's cute. No, oh, no, man. shut up. I don't want. I don't want to know anything of it. <laughs> so Pikachu has like Pikachu has a genuine like diagnosable <laughs> substance disorder where. <laughs> Well, like according to the DSM five diagnostic criteria, because so he has excited. to like hold up the rest of his life to make sure that he has this constant stream of caffeine. <laughs> Fucking excellent! I I'm so happy with how this is I'm turning calling out. Calling it now, the beef session film of 2019 is going to be. I Pikachu. really want how it to Harper- be really good. It'll be great. It'll I be really so want good. it to be good. I I just yeah, I don't want to watch anything else about it. I just want to go in cold and enjoy it for the first time. Oh, it's going to so, be so stupid. I'm not going to pay any more attention to anything that happens to it. I'm just going to watch it when well, it comes out. I'm going to continue to update the listeners faithfully on every single scrap of information that leaks out into Great, the cosmos but about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I really... On my solo Beef Station side podcast. What I... Yeah. Wasn't a spare ribs. It's going to come out every three weeks and it's going to be three <laughs> minutes long and it's just going to be me talking about Detective Pikachu. <laughs> do that. That'd be good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, other than that, 
there's most of the news was just Oscar shit. This yeah, weekend, I didn't really right? get very much. I saw that Ray Liotta is going to be uh, in a Sopranos prequel. Oh, okay. Uh, shit. And there, there isn't much, very, very much else that we know about that. But there's going to be a, a Sopranos prequel that's coming out, and that guy's going to be in it. Uh, Suicide Squad two is going to be made minus Will Smith, who's quit. Mm. Uh, and the Clifford the Big Red Dog movie is going to be coming out in November of 2020. Now, <laughs> is that the one where <laughs> Clifford chain smokes and like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's the one where Clifford the Big Red Dog accidentally steps on a skyscraper and kills millions of people, <laughs> and the rest of the film is just about their funerals and like the life stories of all the casuals. Yeah, fuck. Yeah, he's voiced by um. Oh man, voiced by like Robert Downey Jr. or some shit. It says here Clifford the Big Red Dog then goes to hide out in Pakistan. Oh man, <laughs> it's a, oh, cut it, bail, cut it. <laughs> <laughs> that's. I think that's that's probably it for Beef yeah. Station this week. A bit of a weird episode. I hope you like this. <laughs> tell us what you thought of the Oscars. Tell, tell us what you'd like us to cover. This was a, a as as we said, a request not by a listener. So yeah. Brad, I hope you made it to the end. Brad, stick this in your ass and smoke it. <laughs> hope you. <laughs> Hope you like this one, boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, join us on Facebook, facebook.com slash beefstation. <laughs> I did it, boy. Pod. What? Did S- I fuck it up? Slash beefstation pod. Ah, oh, fuck. Really? <laughs> did I really fuck it up? <laughs> I think so. I mean, look, you got the <sighs> syllables in the right order, just not all of them. Just look us up on Facebook. We're on Facebook. <laughs> Email us, beefstationpod at gmail.com. Yes. I think that's all the, I think that's all the, all the, all the sign-off I have to do. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. I'm Oscar. Andrew. See you later. 